Hello, this is the 100th episode of the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. It's an auspicious number for an episode which I think reflects a shift in thinking and content. Just cycle back to the first episode with pianists Tom Poster and Christina McMaster from January 2018 to compare and contrast at your own leisure. If you're looking for me to explain what that shift is, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast series if you haven't already and listen out for episode 102. That's when you'll hear the retrospective full of clips and reflections and unexpected insights. This episode features tenor Nicky Spence, ostensibly talking about a premiere of Blackheath Community Opera's production of Stravinsky's Rake's Progress, which is available as a YouTube premiere on Saturday the 3rd of October from 7.30pm. But the conversation takes a different path after the promo is done, covering the experience of managing ongoing practice during lockdown, reflections on how arts organisations here and abroad are responding organisationally and artistically to the pandemic. It touches too on the subject of viability, the most recent of weaponised terms that has understandably been taken on by the arts world both for the insult it really is, and perhaps even as a call to arms. What's important about this conversation to me is how it reflects where my thinking is about the classical music and opera world now. In that respect, I see the episode as something deeply personal, though aside from one moment when I felt like I was going on for hours, it doesn't, you'll be pleased to hear, contain too much of me. Perhaps then it is personal because of the inquiry I pursued in the moment. But it's also important to me because it's a podcast episode which marks the return to what the series was before lockdown, a face-to-face conversation that captures the energy of the moment, that explores a shared understanding of a subject, and one which surfaces a variety of learning points and different perspectives. It is uplifting to be in the same room as an interviewee again and to have an extended conversation and to be able to start a conversation with a stranger with something frivolous. You know, like how best to get young people to emote about classical music and opera. So just so that we're clear, you're saying um, get get young musicians drunk, presumably legal, at a legal age. You're not talking about like 12 or 13 year olds. These wunderkinds, (laughs) they'll get drunk even quicker. (laughs) Right, Okay. so... Ideally, those who haven't had very much alcohol before get them drunk, yeah. then put them into a studio, yeah. distance them, and then get them talking about music. Press go. <laughs> Walk away. Off you go. <laughs> Listen, if they want passion, they'll get it. And a few, you know, Fs and blinds, a bit of blue. Uh, who are you and why are we here, please? My name is Nikki Spence, and we're here in my gloriously farrow and bald front room, ladies and gentlemen. Velvet, as far as the eye can see. And I'm talking about community opera in South East London. You will talk about community opera shortly, but we ought to just draw attention to the sofa, which I suspect is a made sofa, is it? It is not a made oh, sofa. Okay, right. It's a loaf sofa. Right. But other okay. sofas are available. Yes, I think I have a loaf catalogue yes. at home. Apparently it's got clever velvet, so you can clever spill velvet. all kinds of things on, which we have tested. Right, okay. I mean, it's a, it's a glorious looking thing. For and now. also a chair that clearly has had some feline attention oh. on it. What hasn't? Right. You're lucky if you get out of here alive. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, tell me about the opera, first of all. The opera yeah. at Blackheath Halls. This is yep. Blackheath Community Halls Opera. Every year for the past 12 seasons, we have mounted 
professional opera with members of the community, fantastic people making up the chorus and the orchestra, brought together by a wonderful conductor, director, with professionals. <laughs> yeah. I could see end. you. I could see you subbing your own sentence as you were saying it. It's quite a quite a remarkable thing to see. Um, a man from a delivery company just arrived at the front door. Right. Oh, is that what it was? So you were slightly. Yeah, it was. Shit. Sorry. I was distracted. <laughs> oh, I see. You really just... got to... That's great. We're keeping that Sorry. in. <laughs> Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yes, I won't shake your hands because apparently that's against the law at the moment. That's against the law. Um, Sorry, darling. It's okay. Sorry. That's the new toaster. (laughs) (laughs) This is a real vignette. Should we go again? No, no, not at all. No. Oh, fine. Uh, Um, uh, I think then, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you do? Weren't you in Noise Flood? I was not. You were not? Oh, okay. I have never actually been in any of our operas. I made the assumption that because we're in Deptford and because that's Blackheath... Because it's you, raining. <laughs> that, ..that you would have been involved in all of them. But this is the first one, then. I've been very much involved in all of them, well, for the last kind of four or five years, because I'm patron... Right. ..for this glorious gang. Mm-hmm. So I've been involved in, like, a enthusiasm and advisory role about casting and about ideas and just general trying to lift the profile for the opera company because they do such fantastic things they are nominated for international opera award this year no less Mm. the things that they Mm. do in terms of bringing opera past the normal stuffy stage is incredible and i'm often very moved by it i've seen i've also seen something else in the albany up the road which involved the same producer as the community opera, whose name now escapes me. Uh, and I can't remember what that opera was. This that died on an ears? It might have been that. Did you come and see it? I think it might have been that. And yes. it was a Trinity Laban thing. They, they, were, they were involved too. They are kind of our gang down the road, our associate. And it pulled in college. members of the, that production, pulled in members of the community as well. Yes, and that was while Blackheath Halls were having a big refurbishment. Yes. If you go up there, you will see a very bendy floor. And accessible seating, which so we had to decamp down to exactly (laughs) really handy now. (laughs) Well, isn't it just? I tell you what, they're doing great stuff up there because they can a bendy floor, a bendy floor. I think it's for dancing. Oh, okay, right, okay. It's lovely. They've done fantastic things, so it's all very accessible now. But while that was happening, we had to decamp down to Deptford. So what you would have seen is Polly Graham's production Mm -hmm. of Dido and Aeneas, which was put on there with the same gang. The thing that I'm, I suppose I'm uh, edging towards is what is it about this area then? Because why is why is community opera such a big thing here? Because the fact that it, when I remember going to see Noise Flood, it, there was passion and energy, and and actually it was it was it was good. You know, it was a good when when one hears community opera, one thinks, oh god, mm. but actually it was good. It worked. Similarly, Dardone and Ayers. So what is it about this area? Is it the area or is it the people involved? Of course, it's the people involved and the area. It is like a combination. Rose Ballantyne, who is the steaming engine for Blackheath Halls, kind of put this idea together. And Blackheath Halls itself was one of the first buildings which was meant for the community. 
kind of, you know, 1900 and whatever, maybe 1890 something. It was put together and then it's a safe space for people to come together. And for many of the people involved, it is beyond just the opera. And then the professionals come along and then they're changed by it as well, fundamentally. It is a connection between the community and music. People see it as a social crutch. It can be a lifeline for people. And it's beyond the sum of its parts. And it's very inclusive because I remember there being in in Dido and Nest a whole range of people with all sorts of different needs participating in it. Exactly right. Yeah, they go in and we do brilliant stuff with local schools who would otherwise be um, unengaged by music and also, as you're saying, special, special needs schools. As an ad- fantastic. As an advocate then uh, for it, um, as an ambassador... Do you see how in this moment that we find ourselves in, both politically and uh, in terms of public health, uh, do you see how that kind of community-based artistic endeavour presumably is far more vital now? Absolutely. Especially because music is about community. A community of music makers and a community of music appreciation so the two don't work without the other. Mm. And especially at this time, what we need, I think, is when there's no rules for amateurs or semi-professional people, they've been really left in the cold by all of this. I mean, you know, get our violins out for our us soloists who aren't getting to do our usual fancy work. But really, it's these people who really rely on these opportunities that aren't getting the chance to go out and sing and to connect and to do what they enjoy. Um this is filmed, is that right? Tell me this how it's been filmed. put. It's been put together as in a lockdown performance, or it's been filmed on location, distance. Tell me because I've not seen it. Yes, you've not seen it no. either, have I? Oh, haven't you? Oh, they're, God. They're, they're sweating in the editing suite <laughs> as we speak. That's really over left. a laptop somewhere in a oh, coffee shop. Definitely, well, in a coffee shop. Who knows? Being sprayed every five minutes and tracking and tracing. <laughs> but uh, this is a journey through the Rake's progress, Stravinsky, and it is about half an hour long. And it is plotting Tom Rakewell's demise towards death, but also in a way that lots of French filmmakers used to kind of do a film and then do a, almost like a kind of um, an exhibition on that filmmaking process. So we have, it kind of looks at the film as um, Stravinsky would have seen it, but also in terms of the drama, how it's put onto film. So you're kind of going in and out in front of the camera and behind the camera and it is all socially distanced the actual way that they've put the chorus as part of it is much more dynamic than anything else I've seen they're really part of the drama and they've all had to film their bits and bobs at home but we've been able to get chorus leaders so there's a kind of uh, feeling of outreach towards them so they've been able to create something while feeling engaged because a lot of this kind of thing you've sat in your living room, being harassed by a cat, mm. you know, trying to do this with your Amazon man coming to the door, mm. like I've just had. Mm. And, it, and it isn't very creative, and it doesn't always feel as if you're part of something bigger. But the way that James Hurley, the director, and uh, Christopher, the conductor from multi-story Peckham right. Orchestra, okay. yep. have put it together, is actually making feel, people feel very engaged. And we've got some um, professional soloists involved as well. And lots I've... of dry ice. <laughs> Which is essential. <laughs> um, I have been fascinated by 
the story that has been told around the arts or rather the way in which the arts has told its own story over the past six months and particularly in terms of opera and classical music how we went from as I recall now a sort of a period where nearly every single musician was doing something from their home mm. uh, then there were a whole that there was a slew a never-ending stream of lockdown videos and then we sort of shifted to um, uh, sort of pre-recorded and live streams and that kind of thing it strikes me now that uh, the time is about the, the time is for the videographer and for the director they're the people who are transforming this this experience now do you do you see that or do you have a different view? I absolutely agree with you, which is exciting. Isn't That's it? annoying because I was hoping that you might have a different view. Well, I agree with you in a... Because uh, one doesn't want to hear, I agree with you. Let's end of story. <laughs> no, I agree with you in terms of that these guys are leading the way forward. And there's lots of new startups. I know even amazing singers like James Hall, who's a countertenor, quite famous, has started doing videos and trying to make proper quality stuff because mm. at the start you know everyone was pixelated you're like who even is that mm-hmm. play oh it's Tamsin Little who knew <laughs> you know that kind of thing yes. whereas now yes. people are actually doing really great stuff with a videographer and some of that needs to be pressed save on you say yes how interesting we're seeing something live most opera singers are not HD ready <laughs> myself included you know and there is something about well, maybe it's just a wide shot then or, or like a head and shoulders listen there, no 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 that was a technical term there's <laughs> not a wide shot wide enough for my fine. face okay, fine. All right. but there's something about opera which I'm going to talk about opera because it's my mm. my thing but it's it is a long distance sport best heard at a distance like a bagpipe right. you know okay. put it on a distant hill yeah because it has that kind of... It's got that feeling of collaboration, which involves 80 people in the orchestra, and it needs the chorus, and it needs everybody all together. You mean it's epic? It is epic. It's the biggest collaboration going. And I miss that, from a selfish point of view. But what we have discovered through all of this, that there are amazing chamber pieces, and there are things that we can do which are making opera more relevant, and making music more relevant, and more accessible you don't have to go up in the tube because of all this distancing Mm. business so that stuff is great let's do more of that but god forbid we lose the rest how have you then had to shift your own personal expectations as a performer in order to pivot to that different approach well i have had to change titles of operas all my opera was cancelled and I have learnt probably three or four more operas, some of which have then been cancelled at the last minute. So I've been, everything is reactive at the moment. And for me, it feels as if if you even learn the words off copy for a piece, it is most likely to be cancelled. It kind of frightens the piece away. Does that, but does that mean that you've had to, that, that's one thing that you've had to shift in terms of your mindset, that I, I could be investing time in something that is not going to be, see the light of day absolutely and that can be quite demoralizing how have you managed that shift then well with alcohol <laughs> is that what we're saying oh i see oh yes so i see yes, yes you're looking there's, at a, there's, my, a, there's a cupboard in the corner of my handsome hostess <laughs> yeah, trolley i was expecting it to be under lock and key but no it's it's not is it we can't no because um, we can't uh, use the locks when we're inebriated <laughs> That's an issue. Aside from aside from the alcohol, do, do you? Am I? I see a sort of a furrowed brow, which either means that you don't understand what I'm saying, or or I'm going somewhere that isn't uh, that isn't very interesting for you. But I I just 
I know that personally, as in my work, I've had to change my approach to productivity, time management. I've really had to deal with quite a lot of my own negative thinking around my work because I've been on my own in an office. Um, Absolutely. Well, so I, I'm wondering what what the equivalent experience is for a performer. I resonate with all of that in terms of the productivity. You're working on things. You don't know what you're going to be working on. Things are cancelled at a moment's notice. You've got contingencies upon contingencies. Mm. And so I think mental health has definitely been tested and I'm so lucky that I live with somebody who's not a sociopath, <laughs> unlike some other people, which probably do. I've had a really gorgeous run of right. things, apart okay. from like postponing my wedding, which is just bloody annoying. Yes. But I do get to make more stationery, so I'm thrilled. <laughs> right. But in, in terms of that actual music making, we, of course we all miss it, and we've had to find different ways of connecting with people beyond you know, the Zoom business and and all of that and it yeah I completely I've got lots of new skills and I have enjoyed doing recitals I'm a, I'm a recitalist and so I've been really lucky that actually I've been able to work I had my appendix out two weeks ago jeez so that stopped me from doing my normal stuff but I'm feeling much better now oh, uh, with the swing yes. your shoulders yeah absolutely <laughs> fully able people but um, <laughs> yes I had the hoover round before you came which is the most activity I've Right. Okay. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm sort of flattered, and I, I feel as though I've got a lot more personal information than I was uh, originally <laughs> anticipating. But you know, we'll keep it in. Yes. Um, uh, do you think that how how will the things that you have that sort of changed mindset or those changed expectations? How will that impact when you do step back into uh, the theatre or when you do you know return to your normal work, as it were? Well, I think. Um when we get in there, it'll be fantastic. But something I am seeing, and I don't know if I'm just turning your question on sixpence here, but I am seeing that a lot of the bigger organisations are not as bendy as some of the smaller ones. So the actual experience we're going to, we're going to have is going to be different. I will bring what I always bring, mm. which is enthusiasm, hopefully the piece learned well, and being able to sing it. That's what I try and do. But things have been cancelled, and sometimes you think, oh, it would be so great if that worked, if you could have just organised your logistics in terms of having hand sanitizer everywhere. It feels like a lot of the smaller companies and smaller outfits who have got a shorter um, list of command yes. actually are yep. able to do things and be more reactive. Whereas actually just getting some of these big companies going again, they need a lot of love and a lot of support logistically to be able to put something on is it just because of size or is it because lots of people need to be there needs because there needs to be consensus i think there needs to be consensus and for some as well i think people have made a contingency in terms of planning and they might even fancy their contingency more than what was originally planned so they've actually you know casually got rid of what was already booked um because it's now we're at the point is it force majeure just because we haven't actually laid out what it is we're meant to be doing and now with socially distancing in theatre, people are kind of making up or trying to engineer themselves around what we're now able to do. Um, but some people just aren't doing that, which is really frustrating. You go to Germany, people are doing things. Basically, yes. people are doing things. And here, we're still not really doing it as... as um, but is that, okay, that's could. interesting. So my, my, my assumption is that that's because uh, there is... Uh, this is all going to sound very crude and, and probably wouldn't 
doesn't sound particularly intelligent, but it's almost as though somebody has come along with a very big, thick marker pen and gone, these are the health and safety rules now, and everybody must adhere to them, and there is no flexibility whatsoever. Uh, and that everybody, because that is what the goal is, you know, how can you work around those health and safety rules, that everybody is is heading in that direction. Mm. Uh, whereas I think what you're saying is there needs to be, people need to adopt a considerably more flexible approach and presumably part of that is being able to plan things four or five weeks in advance. Absolutely. It's that reactive feeling, but also about collaboration and sharing practice and through Europe and through, you know, mm. internationally, sharing practices. How do we make this work? Glyndebourne, I was in a production at which we did outside and there was hand sanitizer as part of the action. You know, they made it work and it was fantastic. It was such a celebration of what can happen. But that hasn't always landed everywhere else. And I'm, I, we're just risk averse. And sure, we should be. Pandemics are scary. Uh, but, but I wonder whether in the arts world people are risk averse because there is this assumption that we must hold on to convention. Mm. Well, and people have very fastidious um, quality control. Yes. And so I think for some big companies, they think, well, this is the way we do it. And this is the way that we've always done it. Yes. And so therefore, we, we, can only, we can only really sort of reenact this. Absolutely, within what they can do. And I get that. It's, it's a scary time. Does that frustrate you as a performer? Yes, because I want to do my thing. Yes. But, you know, talking about opera, that it is collaborative. That's why it's been difficult for community opera because it's there's even less legislation and i think there's such an issue fundamentally but doesn't the lack of legislation mean that there are more loopholes or there's more opportunity or am i misunderstanding that no well the thing is people look to see things written on paper to be to see what they can do they don't look at the bits of white and think oh that means we can do this this and this they're looking for guidance and if it's not yeah, okay. completely there, then people, you know, people don't want people to be ill or to be scared to come out of their house to come and take part in something. That's why it's really important. And what Blackheath has tried to do is find something which is more dynamic, where people can be involved safely. But I think it is a fundamental issue with the fact that the government here do not rate culture. No. And they don't, see, and they don't know much about it, to be honest. As far as I'm aware. I know what impact that has on me. Mm. Um, but this is not about me. <laughs> some well, people, some people would question why when they listen to the podcast. Uh, um, I wonder how what that, that view of the government that you just articulated, what impact that has on you. I find it fundamentally depressing. Mm. I, I think that... One of our biggest feathers in our cap is our culture. But the way that it's displayed at the moment, it is not inclusive enough. And there are glorious things which are happening in, you know, the Barbican especially are doing great things and the Wigmore, thank God for them, are doing things to get things up and running. But it's not seen as a priority mm. at all, which is amazing. And I'm sure we've all seen the meme. We're like, well, if you didn't have Netflix and your, you know, Take a Break magazine and all the other art periodicals which are out there where would you be we'd all be just husks of human beings yes we would but people don't seem to understand that mm. and we're not seen as viable no and, which is and that crazy is the, that is the most crushing thing and i'm not a performer i'm essentially all i do is marketing but uh, that 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 term is um 
that's the most crushing, I think. Absolutely. Because it just when when you have that that word on the table, and then you start extrapolating that and looking across the sector, and then thinking a year in advance or two years in advance, in advance or God forbid that we have to wait another four years before I have a chance to vote, mm. then actually, what state is it going to be in then? Yes. Uh, that's that's why I'm asking the question. That um, in isolation, I often wonder whether I'm just panicking, but it sounds as though other people think the same way too. Definitely, I resonate with you entirely. But I'm lucky that I've got a career which is robust enough that can pick up again when things start happening. So you retain hope then? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm not hugely worried about me. I'm fine. No, no, and I'm not and I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking more about the sector. Yes. But uh you clearly have hope then. I have hope. You are uh, positive, you are optimistic. Yes, I think people are doing everything that they can with the limited support which is out there at the moment. But I do think that um, my greatest worry is for young people and for the community. Because young people, are one of the best things about this time for me is that I've been able to do masterclasses online with young folks and I've done lots of mentoring and teaching at the Royal College and that kind of place. And there's this fantastic generation of singers especially who are going to lose out you know they've had these a couple of opportunities which they're hanging all their hopes Mm. on which have been cancelled we can carry on next season when it all picks up but that was their first chance and it could be for some of them their last chance because they have to get more viable jobs Uh, and and also because when when things do return to normal uh, there will be a whole other wave of other performers at that age who they will then be competing with. Of course. Yeah. And but, but there are some schemes, you know, the momentum scheme with old Barbara Hannigan. Right. Um, I mean, young, glorious Barbara Hannigan. I didn't mean old Barbara Hannigan. I mean, that she's... <laughs> quickly yeah. clarify. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that she's a household name. She's glorious. But um, she is doing something called the Momentum Project where more established performers are giving a portion of their fee and also a portion of their concert to a young ah, person. Yes. So I've done a, a bit of that already, which is fantastic, and I think we need to do more of that. But, of course, companies are risk-averse as well. They are using lots of names at the moment because all of these names are suddenly available. Usually you can't get, mm. you know, whoever for love nor money, but now they're sat at home doing their knitting or making sourdough. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, yeah okay. That's um, I was just thinking, about to talk about knitting and sourdough, both of which I do do. Excellent. Um, You're not wearing I, one of your own creations uh, today, no. though. I'm so upset. <laughs> no, I'm really not, because it wouldn't help me professionally. Uh, um, I wonder how you think the sector could change. Well, I'm not sure if it's entirely my business on a grander scheme but the way that I would like it to change is for it to be more inclusive and while we're being inclusive just making really great art really good opera really good music theatre but being adaptive in a way that you know when we had companies say like at English National Opera and more at the Royal Opera House we had things which were much more kind of like in-house and you know, not getting consultants in to restructure things for millions of pounds, but actually just looking at the bare bones of what we have to offer and really working on that and creating much more of a homegrown feel. Okay. What do you mean by adaptive? Well, we have to be adaptive. 
don't we, at these times, lots of companies don't know what they're going to get from the Arts Council year to year. So they're, they're worried about what they're going to put on. Some, somewhere fantastic like Opera North really see their chorus as an asset mm. and so use them to create things and really put the onus on them to be good enough to be able to um, sing leading roles and small roles. So more of that kind of culture, I think, of of that homegrown feel and of of being adapted with what you with what you have. You said that you didn't think you you were very quick to clarify when I after I'd asked you the question that you didn't really think it was your business and yet at an ABO conference, whenever it was last year year before last, there was a move amongst orchestras to try and get players to be involved in administration and to make artistic decisions. I mean, that was the motivation for the question, really. Mm. And, and, and I'm sort of surprised and possibly even a little bit disappointed that, that you might feel as though you'd need to say, it's not my business. Yes, I because th- I think... Yes. You, because I think absolutely, at this moment in time, it should be your business and it should be every other performer's business. I mean, listen, I am a creator and a curator and I make lots of things happen, but I can... I am not in the position to be able to change things at a huge level. I can do everything that I can, and it's mm. because of people like me and yourself and other people who are moving in that direction to make things happen. I do think that we are all kind of we warriors in this. But when I say that it's not my business, I mean that at a, a bigger level, you can only do so much. Okay, that's useful to know. I mean, maybe I'm saying that because I've just had loads of more concerts and opera contracts cancelled and I've just had my appendix out so I'm feeling a bit <laughs> I'm feeling a bit you're low you're still recuperating you know but you should you know <laughs> okay, I do yeah, yeah. I, I think that why limit ourselves yes you know we mustn't limit ourselves we can try as much as we can to make things happen and we must all do that but there's you know there's usually people above which make it difficult I just think that it it does strike me more and more that uh, and now is the time for for having those really, who was it who said this? People at Peckham. There's a DJ and a and a Greg Batsleer, I think. Oh yeah. Who are doing Festival Voices this weekend? And I did an interview with them earlier in the week, and they were talking about how we all of us agreed. You know, it, now is the time to be thinking about this stuff. Now is the time to be thinking challenging things and and thinking about how things might be done a bit differently. Uh, and and I I find myself energised by that idea mm. because. That fuels conversation, it triggers thinking and what have you, and maybe a few small tweaks here and there, and maybe it will come back revitalised and we won't, you know, we will, uh, the sector will have reasserted itself because, you know, it's cu- currently engaged in a, in a sort of dialogue with a government who doesn't really care about culture. You know, that that's, that's quite a... Um, it's quite a rallying cry mm. uh, at a at a, a quite a critical moment, and and actually, if that if that opportunity is seized in the right way, people start having that conversation. Then who knows? That's that's really where the. I feel I, as though yes. I've been talking a lot. Actually. You have done a bit. It's all glorious, <laughs> and I completely in that way. It's all of our business. Yes, it's absolutely all of that our business. I think it's when it comes to you know like that amazing footballer that made yes. um, school yeah, yeah, meals yeah. available and stuff stuff like that. I think that's fantastic. There are glorious people making things happen and I'm count myself as one of those as well as a, you know, a mini mover and shaker. And I think that's all fantastic. But you know, what can we what can we do? 
you know there's there's only so much that you can do but we can all keep on trying uh, that's the out I think thank you very much look I mean that was bang on 29 minutes it's like you, you work in radio um, is there anything else you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you um, you can sing it if you want well yes I could <laughs> couldn't I um, well I think I think everybody should listen let's talk about why everybody should watch our our film well okay alright then yeah everybody <laughs> should watch our The Rake's Progress A Journey Through this Saturday tomorrow even 7.30 get your popcorn out I think it's just a lovely display of collaboration between um, professionals and members of the community and, you know, filmmakers. The actual director had a penchant for filmmaking, but we're talking kind of 20 years ago. So he's grabbed his skills. And I think that's a bit what lockdown has done to people as well. People have started, you know, looking at things that they used to do and mm -hmm. have got now got more time to do. So that's fantastic. And I just think that it's a really dynamic display of what can be done within a community and how important it is and how we should try and support as much as we can things that are, which are happening.